Welcome to Intangibles, a podcast about the traits, behaviors, and qualities that entrepreneurs can cultivate to help be successful. This podcast is created by Andesite Ventures, an enterprise-focused seed stage venture firm in New York City. You can find us at www.antecedent.vc. I'm your host, Steve Berg. This season is brought to you by Denton's Venture Technology Group at dentonsventurebeyond.com. Operating as a boutique within the world's largest law firm, the Venture Technology Group runs with hard-charging tech entrepreneurs to drive growth through strategic business, finance, and legal advice from Silicon Valley and New York to London, Berlin, Hong Kong, and beyond. Learn more at dentonsventurebeyond.com. The topic today is mindset, specifically what our guest calls the caring mindset. What that involves is the approach to doing business. It impacts communication, customer satisfaction, organization, business, process, and of course, work environment and company culture. As you will see from this discussion, there are a whole host of intangible qualities that underpin the caring mindset. Shabir Chowdhury is the chairman and CEO of ASI Consulting Group, leaders in strategic initiatives, quality consulting, and training. Shabir has worked with many organizations, large and small, across diverse industries, including manufacturing, healthcare, food, government, and nonprofit. He's helped hundreds of companies save billions of dollars. Shabir is the author of 15 books, including international bestsellers such as The Ice Cream Maker and The Power of Six Sigma. His most recent book is called The Difference, When Good Enough Isn't Enough. It was released this year, and it is about the caring mindset. It's my pleasure to welcome Samir Chowdhury. Hi, Samir. It's really nice to meet you, and thank you very much for taking the time to do this. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Excellent. Well, look, you've got a really interesting work history. What else would you like to tell people about yourself? Well, I live in Los Angeles, but my office is in Michigan. And um, also, I love, um, irrespective of my you know, consulting work, I also am a big fan of the South Asian art as well as the impressionist work. So uh, that is kind of my uh, kind of a collect- collector of those uh, areas. So that is the, and then I have uh, two children. One is uh, 16 year old, another one that is my daughter, and my uh, son is 10 year old. So, and I have a lovely wife. So trying to make a difference. So you're, yeah, you're a pretty well-rounded person there, kind of a, ba- a balance between the analytical and the uh, arts and culture. Yes, um, yes. So the reason that I reached out to you, as I mentioned in the intro, is because your recent work on the caring mindset, I think, is really pertinent right now. And, and I don't mean caring as in warm-hearted, but caring as in, and I mean, you don't mean caring as a warm-hearted, but caring as in giving a damn, specifically as it relates to leaders and employees of companies. Um, if you don't mind, let's get right into it. Would you define the caring mindset for me? Yeah, I think uh, before I even define the caring mindset, what I'd like to do, I'd like to give you a little bit of the background, how even I came to the caring mindset. Because as you mentioned in your introduction that I saved organization billions of dollars, uh, basically my expertise are last 20 years, uh, I've been helping organization to become more effective. Um, and effective on a sense that, um, and even though I was known as a quality guru, but my expertise is much more like, helping organization how to make their process good, process robust. So as you mentioned about my book about the power of Six Sigma, so I was known around the world on my work of Six Sigma and design for Six Sigma. So typically, most corporations hire me to come in 
to literally save them bottom line. So for an example, recently one Fortune 100 company around two years ago, they have a major recall. They contacted me, automotive company. They contacted me and said, Shubir, can you save us $2 billion in three years? And 18 months later, I saved them $2 billion. It didn't take three years. Like, you know, uh, in, in 18 months, I saved them $2 billion. Now, the question is that um, what happened is then what I found out over the years that around maybe three or four years back, I found out, you know, suppose for the sake of discussion, two same, same size of company hire me as a consultant and using my process, both the company, using my process with my help. And so for an example, for the sake of discussion, it can be GM and Ford, or maybe it can be Airbus or and uh, Boeing, right? They hired me as a consultant and both of them use me and my process and doing their work. But still, one client is getting 10x return, another client is getting 100x return. So initially, I was very puzzled by that because my whole thought process is that why they are getting you know, only 10x, but another client is getting 100x. So initially, what I thought, maybe my process is flawed. Maybe, you know, um, you know, maybe we are not good teachers. So I was kind of blaming me and my team. Then what we did, we said, no, let us go back and study each of these organizations. So last five years, I have done, I studied with hundreds of companies of my client, from a small client to a large client, and trying to find out what is the difference, why one is getting 100x, one is getting 10x using the same process. That was the time it came out. It is nothing to do with process, it's about the people. Because the company which is getting 100x return, majority of their people has a quality mindset or caring mindset. That means they care for their company, they care for themselves, they care for their colleagues, they care for their families. And so then I thought about, okay, how can I um, teach organization or an individual, especially individual at any level to develop the caring mindset? And based on that and trying to understand what those caring mindsets are, I literally asked thousands of people at all level in all types of companies. And there the four attribute came out, human attribute. And I'm very honest with you, anybody at any level can practice this. This is not for CEO. This is not for just only for middle managers or, or a janitor. It is for all of them. Anybody can practice caring mindset. And the other thing is, it's not only for the workplace. It is also at your home, at your community. So because we as a human being, it's not like, you know, I'm doing something unethical at workplace doesn't mean that I'll not be doing anything unethical at my home, you know, because we are human beings. So we cannot just turn on and off. Like, even though we may be able to do it for a, a small period of time, but ultimately your true self will come out. So that really generated this whole book about the difference, you know. So the book's main purpose is why good enough is not enough. and um, so it can be a small a startup to a large corporation. If the CEO or the senior leaders or the founders of these companies think about how can I establish an organization that will make a dent to the world, that will make a dent to the society or humanity. If that is the objective, any startup or any um, 
you know, the new entrepreneur has, they can make a difference. And then once they have that vision, then they have to think about anybody I hire, anybody I work with, anybody I serve, how can I make sure I can emphasize to them about the caring mindset and making a difference? So I think, you know, to me, the initial point was good process gives you a multiple to improvement, but good process plus good organization gives you an exponent to improvement. And I think that's, you got it. that's, yes. that's hugely powerful. Yes. Um, okay. So we defined uh, the four kind of uh, pieces or parts that you, that you uh, think of in terms of caring, mind, uh, caring mindset. The first thing you mentioned was um, being straightforward. We did a podcast with Kim Scott on Radical Candor. Um, yep. In addition, um, I know that the famed investor Ray Dalio has a principal espousing yep. directly. I, I think it's fair, it's safe to say that you're you're on solid ground with that particular trait. What I'd like your thoughts on are why being direct and open with people uh, in your communication is actually a key component of caring mindset. Why does that piece have to be part of it? Because the thing is that without the straightforwardness, what happened is that you know the fear culture will come out. The underlying theme, you know, like the uh, the lot of the time, the pride and ego come out that, hey, I'm the top of the organization. So everything I say, you know, I'm right. You know, that type of mindset, pride or ego, or you create a fearful culture, especially for the startup. If they don't have that culture of a straightforwardness from the day one, look at what happened recently in Hollywood with the Harvey Weinstein situation, right? Think about that whole part, right? Even a lot of people knew about it and the people who even got abused by it, they knew about it, but they didn't, you know, protest at that time with the fear or whatever, right? And and ultimately, over time, ultimately surfaced. You know, there is a Randy Porsche. He wrote a book called, the, you know, The Last Lecture. He's a professor at Carnegie Mellon and died at the age of 51 or 52 in cancer. He said something very profound. It says, it is interesting that secrets you decide to reveal at the end of your life, right? And, and, and I, in my book, as, as you read, in the book, I uh, talked about a, a story uh, about one of my clients. Um, this client, w- when I first met him around 15 years or you know, 20 years ago, at that time, he was a low-level senior, like a kind of a low-level engineer and kind of a low-level manager level, senior engineer manager level. And uh, ultimately, he became the chief purchasing officer of one of the Fortune 100 company. And the funny thing was, this gentleman, all his life, what he did, he created a fear culture. He created a uh, kind of an authoritarian type of culture. Anybody work and all the work, all of his men and women work for him. He take all the credit for himself. And anybody try to challenge it, he get rid of them. And so this is the things went on. Now what happened is one day I got a call um, and saying that he needs to see me immediately. And so I finally I went in his office, he closed this door and he basically shared the story saying that, you know, Shibir doctor gave me only two weeks to survive. And I have cancer spread all of my body. And at that time he was only 52 years old. Okay. And he, so I said, oh my God, what are you telling me? I said, how I can help? He said, Shabir, no matter what I'm dying, I have only two weeks. So maximum it may become four weeks. I don't need your help on that. I said, okay, where I can help you? 
He said, can you teach me forgiveness? I said, what do you mean? He said, can you teach me how to earn forgiveness? I said, tell me why you are saying that. He said, Shubir, last 20 years, 15 or 20 years, you continuously cautioned me, telling me I should not do this. Uh, this is not the way to lead a life. Even though I got all the promotion, but now I am in the death is coming. What I've done is everything wrong. I wish I can change that, you know? And then he became very straightforward. And so what I told him, I said, only advice I can give you, being honest to yourself and take the telephone and tell them what you have done is wrong. And you want their forgiveness. You don't need my help. There's no magic to it. Be straight about it. So I think a lot of the time, what I'm seeing in organization, when a company is small and when they really grow big, what happens is that if you don't build that culture of a straightforwardness, that means be honest rather than tell me honestly. And especially the senior leaders should continuously encourage. And even if they are honest, they should not punish. They can show their emotion. They can be upset about it and everything. That's okay. But don't punish for honesty. And the more you do that, otherwise, what will, like the more the organization will be successful. Look at what happened to a company like Volkswagen. Think about that. Volkswagen, that they hide the information and then ultimately, you know, five years later, they got caught, right? Look at what happened to General Motors, you know, that ignition switch issue. Ultimately, the truth will come out. So unless you create that culture of honesty and a straightforward type of culture, openly discussing the weak, bad, ugly, everything, what will happen is that little by little, you are doing the disservice if you don't promote that as a culture from the day one. So that would be my, you know, the other thing I wanted to kind of point it out as a statistical number, Cornell University, uh, Cornell University did a study, white collar crime, white collar crime estimated to cost US $300 billion annually. White collar crime cost America, $300 billion. Think about that, right? These are highly educated people. They are doing dishonest thing, right? And I think, you know, if we don't step up and saying that, you know what, we should embrace in the, and we should not punish for their straightforwardness. If something is wrong, they should say, hey, look, this is not the right behavior or this is not the right thing. If they don't say that, because, and, and the reason I tell you, when I tell you that I saved $2 billion in an organization, do you know what is the out of the $2 billion? Around 70% or 80% of that $2 billion, those processes broken and everything, is because they knew about it, they're afraid about it for the you know punishment or whatever from the senior managers, and we as an external people coming out from outside to identify them, and then we made sure senior leaders don't punish them, then ultimately we help them to solve those problems, you know? So, but my point is, it should not happen in the first place if the culture is right. So let's flip it on its head, right? We keep talking about the, the, the bad things associated with not doing it. What are the good things associated with doing it in an organization? Once you, once you, uh, are candid and transparent in your communications, what positive outcomes can you expect in an organization? Okay, what the positive outcome would be? 
for an example, you'll have some less uh, problem. You're pr- even when you openly talk about it, even you can fix your own processes. And if there's no punishment involved to it and uh, for the mistakes, then the employees will be collectively working together to solve the problem themselves, right? It would be like what I have seen in those type of cultures that they come out and they and the innovation grow much more. So f- because they know, even if they come up with a, a stupid idea, they are, they're openly talking about it among the other colleagues. And some colleagues will say, no, that's a stupid idea, even in front of their bosses, right? So, you know, and, and that really helped. So a lot of the time, what I see, there's a big detachment between senior leaders and the workforce, big detachment. That means they are not telling what is going on underlying theme. And those are the things will be completely gone away. And when those type of things completely gone away, innovation will come. Then the people will be thriving. There is a, because there's no fear. And when there's no fear, the the lot of the good things can happen. You will see a lot more bondage with your employees. They will deeply care about the organization. You you will have more loyalty you will find from your from your employees. That's what I've seen within the you know the companies which are much more a straightforward culture. And so how do you and how does the leader enable this? Does he just does it just do you know do what I do? Is it just uh, exactly, set by example? Right. Yes, absolutely. It is the leader. L- let me give you one example on the prime example is believe it or not, even though it is a very large conglomerate, but Jack Welch in GE. I have firsthand witnessed what Jack used to do. If he doesn't know something, in front of your absolutely bottom of the, you know, bottom, like a worker level, if he doesn't know, have an answer, immediately say, hey, do you know what? I didn't get this. Can you tell me this? And I didn't understand it properly. Can you explain that to me better? Direct, no ego, nothing, right? And it created a huge amount of, um, especially in a, such a complex organization, that type of a straightforwardness ultimately, you know, you know, it basically his next level and the next level to the next level, everybody became automatically a straightforward because their boss is a straightforward. Yeah, they, because didn't, the, they didn't have to walk around pretending like they're perfect because you are no, absolutely right. nobody yes. is. Yes. Um, okay. So the next part of the caring mindset that you mentioned is thoughtfulness. Right. Um, I, I think of thoughtfulness as empathy plus action meaning mm-hmm. that you yep. notice something is not right and then you actually do something to fix it. Is that is that how you think of thoughtfulness? Um, absolutely, yes. But I also wanted to, I wanted to also make sure that nobody think about when I say the thoughtfulness, I don't want to turn into everybody to become like Mother Teresa. That is not my intent. What my intent is just to being attentive to other others. Attentive to other human being, okay, considerate to them, um, unselfish, or being helpful. Because what's happening is the social media era, even when um, there is a lunch break, what I find, everybody's in their iPhone, and they're sitting together, having lunch together, knocking, not talking to each other, they're continuously texting to other people or whatever, or reading something. And there's no eye contact, no discussion, not even discussing about Hey, you know, I see you a little bit worried. What's going on? Is it okay? Is your family is fine? You know, like I, I talk about in the book in a very 
um, one of the story about even it was a big wake up call for myself that how I got I got a lesson for myself. So for example, that a story, you know, if you read the book, you had seen that that I was taking a flight from uh, Detroit, uh, like from Los Angeles to Detroit, and obviously I'm very lucky that you know my client always uh, give me the you know business class airfare wherever I go and they pay for it. So I was sitting in a business class seat in one of the flight, and so we boarded fast. And after we boarded that, then the economy class passengers is coming. So there is a uh, older gentleman, like maybe 75 uh, age range, uh, came in and he sat in the first row of the economy class. And when he sat there, that was the time uh, the uh, flight attendant is serving us the drink. And so when the flight attendant come to the last row of the business class, this older gentleman said, hey, can I get a glass of water? And flight attendant look at him and said, um, sir, we don't serve any drink um, that to the uh, economy class passenger until you are airborne. And um, so this older gentleman said, hey, I understand that, uh, but I'm so thirsty because I have to walk from one corner to another corner and it was such a long walk. I'm just asking for only a glass of water. She again gave her a look saying that, sir, I told you already. And so she declined. And there is a, and, and we are just like all alert and we feel bad, but guess what happened? There is a younger gentleman. He was sitting on the aisle seat across of me. He immediately went, you know, in the cabin and poured a glass of water and served this guy, right? And said, saying that, sir, this is a glass of water. And then he sat and immediately all the business class passenger kind of clapped. Now the point at that time, the aha moment for me was why I was also sitting on the aisle seat, why I did not take that action, you know? And, and that was the time I asked the, past, that, the gentleman, that young man, you know, he might be 22, 23. I looked at him and I said, can you a little bit share with me what attribute you had that you take that action I did not? And basically he looked at me, he said, look, honestly speaking, I just, there is no formula I just felt that I just cannot tolerate anything that if I can make an impact, I don't care what they say. If it is a small thing, this is a very small thing to do. He said, do you think that Mr. Chaudhary, that this guy, that this flight attendant would be fired if, if she served a glass of water? No. Airlines will not punish her if she served a glass of water. No. But, you know, the question would be, when I talk about the thoughtfulness, it's about that just to be attentive your surrounding and to and to make a difference to others having a whatever a small thing you can do so your next door neighbor you know he may not be he might be traveling and you saw all of his mails they cannot deliver inside of it and if you just see something you said hey look do you know what i should you know keep it otherwise it might be raining let me put it in my home as soon as it comes in maybe i'll deliver to him or do something, you know, for the, whenever you see that you can make a difference. So even in your workplace, you know, a lot of the time I, in the past, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, before the social media era, I used to see people are talking to each other. People are trying to help, helping hand. And I think it's not that it doesn't exist. It is still exists, but it's much less. And organizations are paying the price for it. 
you know and that's what it is and when i talk about the thoughtfulness just to um give you give your um listener um some key two two things they can do what i call it is a being thoughtful is a two step process first step is listening and second step is empathy problem is that the reason we don't even show our empathy because we are not listening so for an example when this uh, older gentleman said can i can you please give me a glass of water honestly speaking i heard it but i didn't listen to it so what is the difference between i heard it i didn't listen to it listening means do you truly internalize after you hearing it did you internalize it did you put yourself on his shoe did i feel oh i am thirsty i need a glass of water yeah how i feel you know what i'm saying i do know and what you're one, saying yeah and once you have that then what do you do then your action will come then you will show your empathy if you see that problem if somebody's pain is your pain and you truly believe that you put yourself on that shoe then automatically your empathy will come in and i'm very honest with you traditionally traditionally we as a human being are good people i truly believe that like 99% of the people are good people but they don't put themselves on the other people's shoe so i've always believed that thoughtfulness particularly the empathy part um was was genetic meaning that you kind of have it in your character or you don't and the stories that you're telling right now kind of illustrate that you don't really think that that's that's the case so no. being that how would i as an individual become more thoughtful or become more empathetic i think the first thing you have to think about very simplistically anything you see like a um like the first step would be anything you see that you believe that somebody made a difference for you whatever the capacity even if you see you start saying thank you the more you say thank you to others right because the problem is that every day when you i or any of your listener wake up we are bombarded with all the negative news media right negative negative information either in the social media or television or everywhere is negative 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 right it makes a tremendous amount of headlines right so what you have to think of now i wanted to see it as a positive right so what do you do is that you know you go out and you try to start thank you like if somebody does something you just start saying thank you that is number one right even if you go out of your way to say thank you the th- second thing is then you think about okay if anything you see to be little bit try to be um, in your workplace or in your home or at your community you always try to see if there is anything you can make a contribution how small it is it doesn't matter even is a very tiny little right even even if you see like i talked about in the book about seeing a toothpick right if you see a toothpick on the floor or anything you see on the floor you pick it up and you put it in the trash because you are making a difference you know because you care for the environment anything you can see that you personally think that even if it is a, a small tiny bit even if nobody thank you for that you still try to demonstrate that try to make a difference you know if you have that mentality and the other thing is that you always try to put yourself on somebody else's shoe once you have that you will be surprised 
how you are becoming little by little empathetic. I've heard that about gratitude, about expressing gratitude being the beginning of improving one's kind of empathetic self. Um, so, all right. So now I've worked on me. My, my last question was about how I as an individual become more thoughtful. How does a leader incent thoughtfulness in his organization, especially if that's not necessarily part of the employee's job description? See, the, what the leader says to do, if he sees or he or she sees that in, in the organization that somebody is demonstrating thoughtfulness. First of all, he or she as a leader has to do that uh, and demonstrate they are thoughtful, right? Once they demonstrate that, then once they, once they see at any level in the organization showing and doing something thoughtful, instantly reward them. Sometimes it can be financial reward. Sometimes it can be, it can in, in front of the other colleagues, you extend them out. You you put them and say, do you know what? This is the one thing you have done so profound and so thoughtful. I wanted to commend you. Irrespective of your position in the organization, I wanted to commend you what you have done. And let me share that story with you. And then you share that story with them. And then what do you do? You tell all the leaders, hey, even though this is his title, what he has done is so profound. I expect all of you to do the same thing what he has done and demonstrate that because that's what is the true leadership is all about. Hmm. So once you reward them, you know, or credit them in front of the other other employees, it will stand out. One of the things I have seen some leaders, they have done, and very honest with you that even, um, you know, in um, some of the uh, large organizations, I've seen some of the um, CEOs used to carry a, a small checkbook in their pocket. And even though, they on the spot they gave a hundred dollar check they just wrote a hundred dollar check and gave it to them and it completely was surprised how it changed the culture of the organization because they never expected a assembly line worker never expected to get a hundred dollar check you know so i think the leaders is all about um by action they have to show themselves share their story share their own story hey today morning uh, when i wake up i was you know thinking about myself and I just wanted to tell all of you that this organization cannot be successful without the hard effort and hard working efforts of all of the people, you know, working for our organization. And from the bottom of my heart as a leader and the CEO of this company, I wanted to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I sincerely appreciate it. Or you tell all of them, if it's depending on the company size, you tell them, hey, I really wanted to take you for a drink or I wanted to take you for you know, something or can we celebrate, you know, showing that, that you care. Yeah. If, if the leader does that, that will make a difference. So I, I like the story about the checkbook because yes, it's connecting a positive behavior with a reward, but it's also yes. highly memorable, right? And it's, yes. uh, and it makes a really great story from one employee to the next employee. Um, you know, it creates lure and legend around an organization um, that, that kind of, I don't know if it actually creates culture, but certainly it perpetuates culture. So I think that's a yes. great that's a great one. Um, all right, I want to move on. The third uh, item that you mentioned um, in the caring mindset is accountability. In my mind, accountability really permeates everything else on the list that you've given us. Um, you can't say something, for example, outrageous in an organization and and not be held accountable for it. Um, you're not thoughtful. Uh, if you only have empathy, 
but no ownership of the action associated with, you know, um, you know, making something that you see wrong right. Um, we haven't actually talked about this one yet because it's the, the, the last one in your list, but resolve, the fourth piece of the caring mindset. It's, resolve is all about accountability to yourself. Um, why did you make accountability a standalone component of the caring mindset as opposed, you know, as opposed to just folding it into the rest, the other qualities? See, I think um, a lot of the time um, I see people, accountability, the way I defined it is much more like a taking personal responsibility. It's not that somebody else is making as a, making you as an accountable rather than you yourself feel you are accountable of your action, right? So one of the quote I always, you know, I love about, like Mother Teresa talked about, do not wait for leaders, do it alone. Think about it. Do not wait for leaders, do it alone. When Mother Teresa did her work, she didn't go to Pope and said, okay, there's so many people are dying in Calcutta, street of Calcutta. Can you please give me the permission so that I can do this work? She didn't. She felt, you know, saving these lives, dying people, that itself is a service to God. That is the way she believed, right? And she just did it and rest is history. What I am trying to say is that majority of the time what I see, people as an individual, they always feel that, oh, it's not my job. That is a major problem. They always think that there's a problem happened. They always say, oh, that's not my job. That's somebody else's. My argument would be, no, you work for this organization. You always feel any problem of that organization is your job. What can you do? How you can help, right? So if you take that as a personal responsibility, first thing is that I talk about the five things being how you can become yourself to develop that being accountable. First thing would be, number one is being aware that something needs to be done. If there's a problem, you always think something needs to be done. You being aware of that. Number two is taking the personal responsibility that, hey, it's not anybody else's problem, it's my problem because it is my organization. Number three, making the choice and decision to act. A lot of the time you feel it is a, your responsibility, but you ignore. You are not making the choice or decision to act. You must make a decision to act on it. Number four, thinking deeply about potential consequences of your choice. So if you don't do it, so for an example, you know, in a lot of the time that a small problem become a very large problem when the time passed by. But when it was an, a small problem, if you don't think about, hey, if this problem grow to a very large problem, what would be the consequence? Consequence might be, even if it cost my company so much of money, they may lay off. And I might be one of the guy might be laid off too. And then the fifth point is you have to set a high expectation. That means, you know, unless you don't set a high expectation, then your personal accountability may not come. A lot of the time what I find is that people do not set up the high expectation, right? Even the managers, especially the managers, they don't. And that really, so that, you know, because of that, employees are mo not motivated. So, you know, my, you know, one of the example I gave about a, um, you know, a 13-year-old girl uh, in 2013, a 13-year-old girl from Illinois, that she was very angry because 
she read in the in the social media that a 11 year old florida girl was bullied by the classmate and committed suicide so she thought on that day you know this cyber bullying everybody talking about it i've been hearing when i was 7 years old and i'm now 13 and, and even though i live in chicago but another 11 year old girl in florida committed suicide because of the cyber bullying so do you know what enough is enough i will take that as a personal responsibility to solve this problem i don't care what my parents said i don't care about what my teacher say i wanted to solve this problem myself and then what she did she went to the research mode and ultimately long story short she came up with a app she came up with an app called rethink rethink what this does she found out that whenever adolescents doing the bullying or anything like that nature they are not their brain is not thinking so what this does anytime if you have that app in your iphone or in your in your laptop or whatever what it does if you have that app automatically it will tell you um hey are you sure you wanted to send this message to somebody because your message is very offensive it may hurt somebody's feeling are you sure you wanted to send this guess what happened 93% of the adolescents who used the app decided not to post any hurtful message after they had been opportunity to rethink 93% of the people they stopped those adolescents have stopped so she solved that she made a contribution on that problem it's not 100% but now facebook google and everybody adopted rethink as an app so think about it then my question comes to if a 13 year old can take the personal responsibility and feel accountable and make a difference why not each of us as an adult yeah you know and 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 that's what that's what the personal accountability means i think we must stop irrespective of our position in an organization even if it is a you know five men five people company or it is a you know 100000 employee based company if each of us when we go to our workplace we feel i am accountable of what i do and anything and how i can make a difference for my organization if everybody thinks like that way that organization has to succeed you know now you ask me a question about that how why i did not you know why i separated accountability with the result what i've seen is a lot of the time you know the people who might feel accountable but ultimately they cannot bring to the finish line because they don't have the result right so you can take that as a personal responsibility but you may not have the result that's why half of the way you get stuck right but if you have the result you ultimately and you have the accountability it is the perfect combination so that's why i separated the two okay um i guess i'll get to resolve in just a second um one thing i i think to, that's kind of obvious is um if you removed accountability from an organization what would happen obviously you know that that's clear so i'm not going to ask that but what i would like to ask is how do i know if i'm a leader of an organization that as i increase 
the accountability of the organization. I'm actually getting a proportional increase in both the caring mindset and then the value to the organization. How do I, how do I, how do I measure that, that, that I'm getting improvement? Only the measurement, only way it would be you'll have a less, less customer complaint, less um, problem inside of the organization uh, because uh, if there is a broken process, automatically other colleagues will be talking about it and they will try to come to a solution about it. If they don't, then they'll become a straightforwardness. See, if you really look at it, these are all intertwined. It's not like a only one dimensional. It is a four dimensional, right? Because you can, it is a, it's all are interlinked, right? So because of that, what will happen would be you ultimately will escalate, escalate it up to the senior leadership. And if the leadership is committed and they feel that, hey, you know, they're right, how we can give a hand. So if they can internally solve or they can need some external help to solve the problem, they can then solve the issue. But I think, you know, you will have more customer satisfaction. You will have more, um, the less problem within the organization. You can um, also have less waste in the organization. Um, you will have also um, more um, like the happy culture, happy culture within the employee base. That that those would be kind of a measurement metrics. Yeah, I think there probably are some KPIs that you could um, dream up for uh, measuring that. Now that I think about sure. it, sure. Um, okay, and this this is similar to the question that I asked before. Um, if I'm communicating with someone in an organization, what are some of the signs that I can look for uh, in that communication to know that personal responsibility um, is an organizational priority? Right. How, how, how can I know that, you know, this is a high quality organization and they're prioritizing uh, responsibility of, of, of its workers? I think the a lot of the time, you know, if you I always talk about make the decision based on data, don't make the decision based on emotion. Right. Make the decision based on data and always ask for data, you know, without the data. It is opinion, right? So, you know, whenever, you know, you go out and a leader is asking question, you're always asking for the data, saying that, okay, show me the data, right? Some of the time it can be internal customer data. Sometimes it might be external customer data. But whatever it is, you know, I always talk about leaders always should treat their employees as an internal customer because then um, the organizational whole dynamics will change. If, the leaders and the senior managers treat their employees as an internal customer because then they'll be more listening to the internal customer because the good thing is that if the, they don't listen to the internal customer they can, and, or they cannot have a satisfactory internal customers, then they can never satisfy external customers, right? So I think if you, if you can create an organization based on, um, you know, based on um, the data, like a believing in the data, not believing in the, somebody's opinion, that will create that culture that you can see. So whenever you are going to an organization, if it is a quality organization or not, you can immediately figure it out when you ask them the data and they are providing the data. When you ask them the how you make the decision, if they are giving you the decision based on the data, you know it is a quality organization. Mm -hmm. If you go there um, and you find 
hey, I'm just making the decision because I think so. Then without the data backing it up, then you know it is ultimately, you know, that organization may have problem in the future. Yeah. I would think also that um, if you find in your interactions with employees of a company that the employees are empowered, um, that would be a way that you would know um, that you've got accountability. Sure. Um, okay. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to s- uh, switch to the final piece of caring mindset, which I put on hold a second ago, um, resolve. And now this is the piece that I have the most questions about. Um, I have heard you liken resolve um, to passion. Yes. And I'm unclear about this. And, and here's the reason why. I might be determined to make it through basic training, for example, but I may not be passionate about it. So mm-hmm. help me understand why passion actually is a key ingredient of resolve. I think, see, I, and I agree with you, the way you distinguish is, is brilliant. You know, I, you're absolutely right that I kind of put the emphasis tremendously on the passion. But I think, you know, it's not that everybody has to be passionate individual because, and it's not that, you know, that, uh, that, you know, Tomorrow I wake up and I say, hey, I wanted to be passionate and I become passionate. I don't think it works that way. And even if you don't have the passion, doesn't mean that you cannot practice resolve. Mm. It's not that. But I think what is important is you always have to think about whatever you are doing in this life, either at home or at workplace or in your community. Do you have a purpose? Do you really think, like if you are doing a job you are not enjoying at all. And you are just doing it just to pay the bill. My, my request would be, try your level best to find another job which will make you excited because your productivity, your, your achievement would be hundredfold that you may not even discover if you don't do the job you don't like to do. So, you know, my argument is irrespective of, like suppose I see in an organization, like especially even some a smaller organization, which, which I knew them from a startup, and now they grew from, you know, two employees to 500 employees. And what I see, those entrepreneurs, they just like some individuals, and they say, and they trust those individuals, and, and they don't take into account this person is very good in sales. I should not force feed him to, because he did good in sales. Doesn't mean that I have to force feed him into put in, and I trust him. Doesn't mean that I have to force feed him to give a assignment in HR. If he, if that employee say, I don't love HR, I don't want to go there. Don't force feed that, right? Because then this employee will not, not only have the passion, but he will also falter in resolve, right? So I think the argument I'm making is that the people, they love to do what they do. Traditionally, I have seen and witnessed and and talking to so many of these individuals that I've seen traditionally 99% of the things, they do it because they have the result. If you didn't have the result, they may not have been done that because they love what they're doing. The people, you know, they are forced to do certain things or they are not enjoying at all. And those people are really struggle on 
resolved. So one of the things senior leaders can really do, ask those people, saying that, hey, look, I know you are doing in the, your job in this area, but are you really having a blast or are you really enjoying what you are doing? Or do you think that you wanted to go to another area which you might have even make even more fun for you? Find that. That is the leader's job. But once the leaders have that, then I think it's important that, you know, if they can also find what they like to do, you know, and, and, and you know, a lot of the time nowadays I see the word passion became too overused. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and, and I wanted to be cautious about that because, but on the other hand, is that even if you're not passionate, can you really find something which you love to do, which you give you enjoyment, which you don't feel that, you know, you're forcedly doing this, you know? So it can be anything, you know, like uh, for an example, I mentioned about uh, that, that, you know, um, I've been becoming very interested in the arts, but I has always been interested in arts. Like, believe it or not, you know, when I was a, a engineering student at that time i felt the importance of literature and i established the you know first literary magazine in engineering school you know because of my love of literature right and later on um, and very honest with you it, it it affected my gpa and everything else and my professors and 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 the university they everybody was you know like literally was discouraging me. You are crazy. Why you want the literature and all? And now here I am. I'm reading this week the the um, the Walter Isaacson's new book came out, the Leonardo da Vinci, and that is uh, you know I just reading the book. It's not done yet. And and here is a man you know born in you know uh, you know 15th century, and he was connecting the art and the science. You know. It's just amazing, you know, and, and he was a hero of um, Bill Gates to uh, Steve Jobs to all these people. They are his hero. It's just fascinating, you know. So the point is that, and, and you should not leave it. It doesn't matter who said what, you know, you just do it. And I still believe any human being has something they love to do. And you more, you put some more time into it and you'll be surprised that it will deliver some results to you. It can be financial result. It can be a spiritual result. It can be, it, it can be mental satisfaction result. Whatever the way you measure. Because, you know, you don't have to have a big bank balance to become happy. You know, uh, look at Mother Teresa. Very happily lived her life, right? But it's not that she has a millions of dollars as a bank balance. You know what I'm saying? Sure. When I think about these stories that you've just told, the three or four different stories leading up to the uh, conclusion here, the thing that jumps out to me in every single story is purpose. Yes. Um, When a person has a purpose, um, their resolve will increase, right? Uh, And I would imagine same with an organization as well. Um, So, okay. The pieces of the caring mindset are candor, which is being straightforward, thoughtfulness, accountability, and steady resolve. Let's take a moment to talk about how these pieces work together uh, to create the caring mindset. Um, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, I think um, you know, what I'll be, right now what I'll be talking about is very... Uh, is very important because uh, let me look at look back to myself. What I'm going to suggest 
your listeners to do um if you truly wanted to develop the caring mindset i'm not going to promote that hey uh, go there and buy my book and read the difference you know <laughs> that that is not the main goal i think what you should do you go out and and you reach out to your grandfather reach out to your grandmother reach out to your parents reach out to your loved ones whomever you care the most go to them hug them that will make a difference mm. i want to point out something that's tangential to what you're saying um because it's an important point re- related to this um you have stated that the best way to teach a caring mindset is to be in the company of other caring people and i think that's the story that you're trying to to illustrate with your grandfather yes absolutely fantastic well look um that is the those are the questions that i prepared um i always like to finish up with three different things um first is there anything about caring mindset that i really didn't bring into the conversation that you know is a, is a, is a big omission that you'd like to talk about no i think i think you pretty much covered everything yeah fantastic um besides the book the difference um are there any materials or resources that you would point people to yeah only thing is that if you go to my website it's called shubhichaudhary.com is a spell s u b i r c h o w d h u r y.com if you go there you will find um hundreds of um articles and videos and all this so and and i'm very accessible uh, also my uh, you can tweet me you know at shubhit choudhury or you can send me an email and um, and if you go to my website you will find all those information so you can get a lot of those materials there yeah fantastic so yeah the severe your 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 name is the website that has the resources Okay yes. and then well it looks it looks like that's the the case for all of your twitter and all of your other social as well. Fantastic. Yes. Yes. Uh Shabir, let's um let's end. Th- thank you very much once again for your time and insight. Uh, I enjoyed thinking through this caring mindset with you. Um uh, you know, I think it's I think it's very valuable. Thank you so oh, much. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. This has been Intangibles, a podcast created by Aniseed Ventures. Find out more at www.antecedent.vc. I'd like to thank Denton's Venture Technology Group at dentonsventurebeyond.com for being the sponsor this season and a supportive partner. Operating as a boutique within the world's largest law firm, the Venture Technology Group runs with hard-charging tech entrepreneurs to drive growth through strategic business, finance, and legal advice from Silicon Valley and New York to London, Berlin, Hong Kong, and beyond. Learn more at dentonsventurebeyond.com. I'd also like to thank Ben Glawy, who's been instrumental in helping me record and produce this season. I couldn't have done it without him. Find him on Twitter at visible_sound. And thank you. Keep an eye out for the next episode, and if you like this one, leave us a favorable review. I'm your host, Steve Burke.